Hello, I'm Harry. Hello, I'm Rory, and you're listening to Games on Film. say i'm harry and this is dragon quest your rory <laughs> didn't quite pan out this is dragon quest your story the japanese cgi animated movie based on the iconic japanese rpg series it's a series i have next to no experience with i know what a slime is but that's mm-hmm. it. What was your experience with the series? I think much the same. My knowledge pretty much extends to slimes, these little blue water droplet globby looking characters with a sort of cheeky face. Mm. Not uh, Slimer which... from Ghostbusters. That's very different. No, never the two may be confused. What if they had a baby? Can ghosts have children? I feel like I've... <laughs> we've already run aground run in the logic in this oh yeah sorry I interrupted you there but I think uh, we're just going to have to come out front and say we are Dragon Quest noobs um, and I fear that in uh, listening to this episode for those who are invested in the Dragon Quest series and know lots about it it's probably going to be a very frustrating listen as we try to <laughs> work out exactly what Dragon Quest is and what it means. But I think the main reason why we don't really know much about Dragon Quest, aside from slimes, and I think perhaps most prominently recently, at least in terms of our realm of knowledge, the character of the hero who uh, represents different protagonists from the series was a new character introduced to the Super Smash Bros. Ultimate game. And that's like, oh, maybe I should pay attention to Dragon Quest now. Um, And then a little bit... Now that it's reached the West, it has relevance. (laughs) But that's the thing. I think think one of the reasons why um, we don't really know much about Dragon Quest is it's a series we didn't really encounter, even though... You know, we were growing up at the time when the games was being released on the Famicom and the Super Famicom or, you know, Nintendo any Entertainment System, Super Nintendo Entertainment System. Um, but in fact, the games, despite them first being released in 1986, um, they never really came to Europe until 2000. And the first European uh, Dragon Quest game was actually a spin-off called Dragon Warrior Monsters, which was a monster collecting Game Boy Color game. Gosh, I wonder why Re- that got released on the Game Boy. <laughs> yeah, I, I, obviously it was released in the wake of Pokemon, though um, fans of Dragon Quest would argue that the whole monster collecting mechanic that Pokemon uh, was clearly a big success of was in some way indebted in part to uh, Dragon Quest V, which is the installment of the franchise that the film we're talking about today um, is based upon. But yeah, so... This whole uh, swathe of these uh, pioneering Japanese RPGs, JRPGs, which many would say 
uh, established the sort of tropes and formula of uh, that genre of games. Uh, some of them were released in North America um, when they came out on the on the NES, but didn't trouble European territories uh, for a very long time. It was only really until Dragon Quest VIII was released on the PlayStation 2, did the mainline games get a European release. Up until that point, uh, the games were known in North America too as Dragon Warrior as opposed to Dragon Quest. So it was only around about that time, and then they had Nintendo DS remakes of the earlier installments, um, that Dragon Quest was known in Europe. And I think by that point... Uh, you know, the whole franchise had obviously built up this huge reputation, particularly in Japan. It's uh, uh, where it comes from. I don't think that sort of like groundswell, that momentum of love and appreciation for the franchise could ever really, you know, build up as much in Europe just because it doesn't have this sort of longevity uh, in this territory. Yeah, I very much get the impression that in Japan, Dragon Quest is video games and video games is dragon quest I, i've been conscious of you get i think video games consoles shaped like slimes and things that it's like yeah it's just the biggest of the big but never really happened over here it's a, it's a bit like how if you speak to somebody in japan they don't really know who leisure suit larry even is um, so <laughs> you have to explain with diagrams and stuff and um it all gets very embarrassing but uh yeah i think you've pretty much described why we are not very au fait with Dragon Quest. It's pretty much the, the reason why I opted to do this episode um, was because I am very much a fan of fantasy and this just looked like a, an undemanding fantasy romp. I mean, I think I told you the other day how the, the, the TV show Cursed has arrived on Netflix, which is a, another modern retelling of... Arthurian legends with slightly middling reviews and as a fan of Merlin I was like I'm I'm here I'm there I'm watching <laughs> Arthurian legend middling reviews count me in only on episode two of that show because they're going straight to flashback territory I was like no. but you know not a fan of Dragon Quest in the slightest but very much a fan of swords and sandals and high fantasy and um it definitely ticks those boxes, this film. <laughs> um, who was responsible for this film then? Well, how much involvement did the original creators have? Well, the original creator, Yuji Hori, um, apparently was involved and supervised the production of the film. And the film itself is based on the fifth instalment, uh, subtitled Hand of the Heavenly Bride which was the first Dragon Quest game to be released on the Super Famicom in 1992, but it was also the first not to be released in uh, North America either. So it's only really in uh, since a DS version of it was released in 2009 that people outside of Japan uh, have necessarily been aware of this story. But it was definitely one of the you know, defining games and the development of JRPGs and uh, is considered a series favourite, at least. It's very funny to me when you see a video game movie which is a direct adaptation of a story. I think it happened when we, we were very surprised of how Detective Pikachu followed a lot of the beats of the game and it seems to me that a lot of our favourite games like Resident Evil get turned into films which are, are less than respectful to the original story, <laughs> but... Mm -hmm. 
Um, yeah, well, I, I had no idea about the story of Dragon Quest V until I watched the film, and then I did some research after the fact, and yeah, learned this was a, a loose adaptation of that fifth game. It was during my research of this film and the game that I actually encountered the controversy. Or is it controversy? Uh, either or, it's controversial. <laughs> yeah, the controversy regarding the style of this film, because... I will admit, I didn't really notice a distinctive style in the Dragon Quest games. I just thought it looked generically anime, which, I hold my hands up, is uh, a very broad stroke, tarred with the same brush style opinion. The more I looked at the style of the um, the person who created Dragon Quest look, which I think is, a, is it Akira Toriyama, um, yes, he is the he's the guy basically. I think he's also responsible for Dragon Ball as well, if I'm not mistaken. Mm -hmm. So the more I looked at his style, the more I did notice there there is a difference between his style and and what I would probably unfairly label as generic anime. But the simple fact of the matter was I loved the look of this film. More the backgrounds than the characters, perhaps, but it was not in any way in my mind that anyone would have a problem with the look of this film. But apparently people do have a problem with this look big time. Yeah, it's certainly when the trailer first came out in Japan. So the film's from 2019, but it made its uh, international debut, I think, on Netflix um, earlier this year, 2020. But when the trailer came out, uh, it got a lot of stick from fans saying this is not Akira Toriyama's style. It retains some of his character designs, particularly for enemies and that sort of thing. But it's very, um, I don't know, made sort of like broader and more maybe appealing to international audiences, I would say, mm. um, in terms of how they look. This is the thing, because from what I've read... The look of the film was made to appeal more to international, brackets, Western audiences. And I think another point of contention was that in Japan, it is very unusual to have famous actors portray the voices of animated characters. Where we've been doing it forever. Ever, I mean, I just remember, is it? I saw Ants with Woody Allen. <laughs> and that's the one that sticks out in my memory. But you kids know, kids love Woody Allen. Kids love Woody Allen. Woody Allen likes kids. Yes, that's <laughs> he does. <laughs> love kids. I don't know what you're implying. Um, but you know, we're used to that sort of thing. But in Japan, they celebrate their voice artists. I mean, it was so amusing to read. I saw some comments by Japanese uh, fans commenting on how they're just trying to um have the actors overshadow the characters blah 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 and like god yeah we've been western world has been doing that for maybe 30 odd years now i've seen all dogs go to heaven with is it burt reynolds i can't remember <laughs> i'm gonna just check myself all dogs go to burt reynolds i'm good <laughs> So I felt a bit guilty watching this film because as a non-Dragon Quest fan, 
and had to have this film sort of made for me in terms of its look and and I was watching this in an English dub so again I didn't even get celebrities I got voice actors doing this I felt like it was kind of made just for my own enjoyment and you know screw all the Dragon Quest fans (laughs) (laughs) but yeah we'll get to my actual opinions of the film a little bit later on but I think that um this may sound sacrilegious, and I am prepared to acknowledge that me going on the record saying this may mean I will never be allowed back in Japan again. But one key stumbling block to my appreciation of Dragon Quest Ephemera has actually been the art style. Because I've never really liked Akira Toriyama's designs, and I remember tweeting about it, and Hamish, my uh, our brother... And podcast guests chastised me for uh, having a go at the designs of Dragon Ball. And I had to kind of backtrack and say, well, actually, I mean Dragon Ball Z more than Dragon Ball. Because Dragon Ball, the original uh, manga and anime and things, it's it's got more sort of cuter, charming style. Whereas Dragon Ball Z, I just... I know that it's very, very popular... But I just find the characters all look super, super gross. It's all giant, muscly man babies with big hair and tiny faces. And maybe the stories are great. Maybe the characters are interesting. But I just really cannot abide, <laughs> um, you know, that art style. I just, I just cannot tolerate it. And maybe, you know, similar to Dragon Quest, I don't remember Dragon Ball being a thing in the UK. Like, it was popular in the USA and, like, France, Germany places, but I don't remember it being on TV at all in the UK. Um, at least growing up, maybe it would came a little bit later, but I just don't have that kind of, you know, much like Dragon Quest, I don't have that sort of, like, childhood growing up nostalgia feel of this staple of popular culture which is you know omnipresent and held very dearly to people's hearts and you know to an extent that's my same feelings a little bit with jrpgs and you know i know i'm approaching this from a thuddingly ill-informed perspective (laughs) i think what you're trying to say is that if you like dragon quest or jrpgs stop listening to our review of this jr no no i'm not saying that because my thoughts about those things do not necessarily translate to the film i'm trying to get this out of the way <laughs> um, now but like my main JRPG experience is really like I tried playing some Pokemon and I kind of got a little bit bored and then stopped I think the only JRPG I've played to completion is Skies of Arcadia and you know that's one of the most magical gaming experiences I've ever had I absolutely loved it it was the characters the setting the style the music um, I thought it was brilliant fun but anything else is just if there's anything which is more than hp and mp and stats and things my eyes just kind of glaze over my brain shuts down and i just want to play a game where i shoot things for a bit instead yeah i I think apart from the pokemon series i can't think of any jrpg i've finished to completion because um i mean i absolutely loved chrono trigger when I got it on the old uh, virtual store on the old Wii. But um, it was one of those games where I would not return to it for a while. And then I've lost all my mojo. And like I always pause just before a deadly, deadly boss. And I just can't 
complete it. It just gets stuck. I think Chrono Trigger, that's uh, Yuji Hori as well. I think he wrote the mm. scenario or story uh, for that game. It's gorgeous. I like the art. I think the artwork for that is 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 a nice in between because it's not the muscly Dragon Ball Z. I think it's got. I think it's a little. It feels a little bit more Eastern influence than I guess the the faux medieval settings of a lot of Dragon Quest. Yeah. You know, again, I tried to give things the benefit of the doubt, and so I did download the demo for the most recent Dragon Quest game, uh, which is Dragon Quest Eleven S: Echoes of an Elusive Age Definitive Edition. Um, Does that mean it's something like the forty eighth Dragon Quest <laughs> game in the series? Even though it's no, like eleven, I, th- I think it's. I think there've been lots of spin offs, but this is like the actual proper eleventh mainline game. It's just, uh, I think, a repackaged PS four slash nintendo 3ds game mm-hmm. combined or something um and i don't want to ask a stupid question but the dragon quest series i don't think is a a, a continuing plot is it well the first three games apparently form a, a a sort of trilogy and the next three games four five six also a sort of trilogy but it's more in terms of referencing heroes and characters and and the setting and things it's uh they're sort of interlinked but it's not like following necessarily the same person every single time um so there are connections and dragon quest 11 does have some connections apparently that the protagonist is sort of the reincarnation of a legendary hero from the past so there are kind of parallels throughout but um yes i was definitely coming at this game you know, from a, a, I haven't played a Dragon Quest game, let's just give it a shot. And it's definitely a game where, you know, people return to this franchise because it's comfort food. It's a tried and tested formula, but I found it trying and testing. <laughs> See what I did there? Because it is very traditional and it's very restrictive. And, and not in the demo version, but in the full game, there is an option to switch between 3D and two and 2D. And I kind of feel mm. like maybe playing it in the 2D version is actually better because then you can kind of buy the fact that um it has these kind of restrictions and mechanics which are very old school so you're not like trying to do the stuff that you would ordinarily be able to do in a sort of 3d game um Mm. but it's all very kind of turn-based battles and you know chosen one style plot and fans of the franchise consider it a, a great game and it got 40 out of 40 from Famitsu magazine which is like a rare score for it to to get but I played half an hour of it and I was like I'm I'm good you know I, I'm sure you know fans would be like no 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 you have to play 40 hours to really get into it but I'm just like yeah I get it and I the the art style again doesn't really do anything for me i think the monsters have a charm to them but you know your main protagonist just has a very gormless sulky looking face the whole time and i was like i don't think i can spend um a lot of time with this character but what did surprise me is that it has the characters at least at the start of this game that you're introduced with have uh, west country accents i see so I think the first line of spoken dialogue is this character who says, thanks so much, you're a lifesaver. <laughs> and I was just like, wow. And the, the start of the game, the mission, you have to, um, there's a coming of age ceremony that you have to do. And you have to make your way uh, to the tour. 
And I was wondering, did they just make everyone West Country because there's a tour, like Glastonbury tour? Mm -hmm. I've no idea, but it was uh, kind of entertaining hearing all these characters going, Crikey! (laughs) I read with interest that in her original appearance in Dragon Quest V, Bianca, who's in this film, um, apparently has a Cornish accent. And I, I don't know how you do a Cornish accent in text form. But, um, you know, obviously I've got, I'm not playing it, so maybe I'll try and seek out the original Dragon Quest V just to scratch that uh, trivia itch. Yeah. Um, well, you know what? That's what demos are for, Rory, to see if you'd like a game. <laughs> uh, I recently downloaded a demo for the game My Butler. You know, I was very disappointed to discover none of the butlers in this butler dating game were uh, elderly Alfred Pennyworth-type dudes. They were all... <laughs> angry pretty boys they all had good points and also deeply bad points i'm like i don't really want to date any of these butlers and then the game didn't give me the choice so sorry i'm not getting the full game what a tease so we've uh discussed our the games and our relationship to them or lack thereof shall we talk about the film sure so the film was co-directed and written by Takashi Yamazaki, who has become something of uh, the go-to guy for 3D CG animation versions of beloved Japanese properties. So he directed Stand By Me Doraemon, which is uh, the little robotic cat from the future, who's again like mega, mega popular in Japan, maybe not so much at least in the UK or, or the West, sort of... I think he was described as Japan's Mickey Mouse at one point, is that...? Yeah, yeah. And, and, you know, much like Dragon Quest, like, it's hard to, you know, understand just how much embedded in the fabric of popular culture they are in their respective home territories. There's this urban myth that Dragon Quest games can only be released on Saturdays by government mandates because <laughs> uh, to prevent kids and office workers, like, bunking off stool and their jobs on a weekday did you say that was an urban myth yeah does it actually get released on saturdays well i mean i'm sure that's a that's an easy myth to debunk i think apparently they do get released on saturdays although i think a recent one got released on a thursday instead i i I think the myth is like whether it's actually the government imposing this or whether it's good business sense (laughs) or i I don't know so yes uh director he also did uh the recent lupin third the first oh yeah which um i hadn't actually seen any loop in the third stuff before but i recently watched uh castle of cagliostro the uh, miyazaki film which i really really enjoyed everyone keeps saying that's like one of the best you need to check it out and i just look at it and I'm like but i like long shots of grass moving <laughs> and a, a pig not doing very much and stuff it's definitely an adaptation of the source material but i think it's got a lot of energy it's a lot of fun i think it's on netflix at the moment too so i would recommend watching it i think it's uh, very entertaining but uh he's basically specialized in these kind of 3d cg animations um before that he was doing some other manga adaptations mostly live action um most notably the always sunset on third street trilogy which uh, came to my attention because uh, there's a sequence in the second movie where Godzilla makes an appearance, like a full CG Godzilla. Like these films are set in kind of 
50s and 60s Japan, so it's very nostalgic for the Showa period. Um, and there's just a bit where Godzilla shows up and trashes a town. It's all in someone's... Um, they're imagining this script that they're writing or, or you know, something <laughs> along those lines, but it's uh, quite entertaining. I think, is, that, is that where you see the tail swoop overhead? Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, I think I remember seeing that on like a Pixley MPEG and being like... Oh my god! Imagine if C- if Godzilla was CGI. Or just imagine if they did a proper Godzilla, and now we've had like two films. Yeah, not counting the Ronald Emmerich one. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, it's it's clearly he's like the go-to guy, and there's like this the sequel to the Stand by Me Doraemon, and and these films tend to do very well at the Japanese box office. How well did Dragon Quest do? Uh, I can only go by Wikipedia, and it seemed to have made $13 million in Japan, which is uh, comparable to the Doraemon and Lupin the uh, Third okay. box office takings. It says it was when the top 25 highest grossing Japanese films of 2019, but I don't know how <laughs> necessarily successful a film needs to be to, you know, reach that. I just wondered, because... Of the, of the backlash we're talking about. Yeah. It's funny. Fans backlashing against something doesn't mean shit, does it? <laughs> um, Just keep on milking that cash cow, Disney. <laughs> <laughs> um, there have been some other Dragon Quest films that I could find, but I think they were spin-offs of anime uh, series adaptations. There was another short animation, I think, in the 90s, uh, but only like so 45 minutes long. So this is like the first... I just full length bells and whistles, you know, big screen take on on Dragon Quest. Yeah, I was pretty surprised it came so late, actually. Yeah, like there had yeah. it been like an has there been like a two D anime or Dragon Quest ever? I think two D anime series and then spin offs from that, or maybe like short video releases and things, but nothing on this scale. Seal the gates to the dark world. You clearly can't beat him alone. You're alive. Encounters and farewells, scores of trials, and the strongest foe. Dragon Quest, your story. So I have a press release from Square Enix about the uh, release of Dragon Quest, your story on Netflix. And that's, I think, the best I could find in terms of a plot synopsis. So they haven't released this on VHS yet. Yeah. That's a shame. But uh, alternatively, I could also use a Google translation of the official Dragon Quest website. Um, that sounds amusing, but also confusing. Yeah. So maybe we'll stick with the press release. Uh, so this says, Adapted from the storyline of Dragon Quest V, Hand of the Heavenly Bride, 
Dragon Quest Your Story tells the tale of Luca as he follows in his father's footsteps to rescue his beloved mother from the evil grips of Larger, a high-ranking member of an organisation known as the Order of Zudrizvang. Failure is not an option as Luca uses the power of magic while battling monsters in his search for the Zenithian sword and the legendary hero, his only hope for success. Supervised by the original Dragon Quest creator Yuji Hordy, the movie runs one hour and 42 minutes. <laughs> I would very much like that to be at the back of the box, rather than trying to find it in the microscopic text at the bottom. Peter Jackson brings you Lord of the Rings. It's three hours long. <laughs> I can see how that would be a selling point for a long movie or a selling point for a short movie, but one hour, 42 minutes is very specifically generic movie length. I mean, I recently saw the Zoom filmed horror movie Host Mm -hmm. on Shudder. It is 57 minutes long, and that should just be the subtitle. I thought the film was brilliant, so do seek it out. But I can't stress this enough, 57 minutes long. (laughs) It doesn't feel short either. It's just the perfect length. I saw another short film recently... It was screened only for one day. Um, it was called The Day of Destruction. And it's a Japanese film which was due to be released on the day that the Olympics were due to open. And it's oh, kind God. of like a big political end of the world apocalyptic, slightly now infused and influenced by coronavirus, sort of like call to arms, fuck you movie. Uh, very underground, weird and punk and... What, fuck who? Me? Or or you? Or fuck the, the, world. the Olympics? Uh, okay. Everyone who's paying attention. Did they get a good distribution deal? Uh, I mean, I managed to see it as part of a uh, an American-Japanese film festival. It was very good. And that was only 57 or 58 minutes. That's the perfect length of films. Yeah. Not for podcasts, though. No. I'm not sure if we could do a 57-minute podcast. That'd be amazing. <laughs> That'll be a change. One day, one day. Yeah, I mean, because I thought that with a film like this, where we had next to no knowledge of the source material, you know, maybe this would be a short one. But actually, I have quite a bit to say about Dragon Quest, your story. So better say that spoiler warning then. Yes. Spoilers for Dragon Quest, your story. It is streaming on Netflix. And uh, I suggest you watch before listening further, Mm. if you care at all. You can now fast forward netflix can't you while watching it so you can fast forward it to make it last 57 minutes that's true that's true but what i will say despite my um ill-informed misgivings about dragon quest and uh, the franchise and the art style and everything i very much liked this film i uh really did quite like it and i and just to sort of stress up front that This is coming from someone completely uninitiated. I don't think you need to know anything much about Dragon Quest, apart from the fact that it's adapted from a video game, to um, get quite a bit out of it. Yeah, I think it helps if you're au fait with video games in general, because Mm. otherwise we end up with a, a Bowl's House of the Dead situation, because there is absolutely video game bits in this film, which will make very little sense if uh, you didn't know the the origins that's what i was looking for uh yeah um i actually concur this was already my cup of tea just as i said as being a big fan of a 
this fantasy genre, which all the kids are into. <laughs> but I mean, we start with the like I'm actually got this in the background while um, recording, and it's it's just started again. I've watched it once already, <laughs> to, uh, twice already today. But um, <clears throat> we start with um, SNES graphics, so uh, Super Famicom graphics, square screen, uh, text, Japanese text from, and then it transitions to like a, a beautiful snowy backdrop with glistening snow a painterly style reminiscent of i think tangled and it just blew me away um so i mean if if i wasn't connected with the characters and the story and everything i would still think this is just gorgeous to look at having that intro puts it up front that yes this is inspired by video games so even if you didn't have the knowledge going in you know you have that text you have the sprites you have like a kind of like quick backstory recap rushing through, I guess, the start of Dragon Quest V to sort of set the scene. So it's maybe a little bit uh, at the start of the film rushing through this backstory to kind of catch up, but you do settle into the story as it goes on. But that transition, as you say, from those video game graphics into this art style, I think it's absolutely beautiful. And I think it has as you say, with Tangled, a painterly quality, but it also has that same kind of solidity. I think you feel mm. like the characters are kind of squishy <laughs> and you feel like the world is very tangible. And mm. I really liked just... I think it's one of the most beautiful films we've probably covered on what is quite often a very ugly <laughs> uh, genre. <laughs> Yeah, I thought Arcade was beautiful, but I know you weren't so keen on that. <laughs> what people were saying and divided about the translation of the art style from the games into the film, I don't get that myself because I don't have that same level of affection for the initial franchise. But I think, you know, objectively, this is a very pretty film um, mm. any way you slice it. I mean, again, I'll stress, I think it is more... The for for want of a better word, production design, the lighting—it's like just golden sunlight, long shadows, character designs—it's perfectly serviceable. They they definitely move in a very, as you say, solid, chunky, satisfying way. Um, they don't seem stiff like you get with a lot of um, sort of uh, like CGI movies, but. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't distract in any way. But just uh, as I say, this is just gorgeous. I've got. I've got. I've got lost into looking at it a little bit because it's on the screen. So I'll now I'll pay less attention to that now. But you're right. The um the the human characters should actually stress. They look perhaps not as good as everything else. But um the monsters, I very much enjoyed, and they do seem extremely video gamey. I mean the the. I did find it very interesting how at the start, um, the hero's dad is killed by, it looked like Bebop and Rocksteady from Turtles. I wrote down the exact same thing. <laughs> yeah, it's not exactly not exactly the same, but they are, it is a bit of a, like, a gear shift. <laughs> like, <clears throat> like um, when suddenly these sort of comedy goons appear and they freaking murder the hero's dad so 
That was that was that is strange. He gets beaten up by like a bipedal horse, and there's like it's a dramatic moment, but it is quite amusing seeing like hooves just like <laughs> smash a guy's face. And you know, it's a horse, a white horse with a pink mane. Yeah. It's it's like a steroided up unicorn. <laughs> Going back to what we were saying at the very start about how the very start of this film is is basically the computer game on the screen. It, it called to mind called to mind the start of the original Superman movie, the nineteen seventy eight one, which starts with somebody flicking through a comic book, and it just says, it just gives you a, like a bit of a gimme, and it says, yes, this looks like a CGI movie, like Tangled and whatever, but this is very much a video. This is very much based on the Dragon Quest games, so. You, I think I still kind of bought the crazy monsters killing people in a dramatic fashion. <laughs> yeah, I, I think the designs of the monsters are quite fun in that respect. And mm. I do think the human characters, they still, I think, are very charming if they're not maybe as like inventive. But I think that's more because of the animation, I think they're very kind of springy and expressive and they're sort of cartoony when they need to be. And I quite like animations which buy into the flexibility that animation allows. I liked just how at certain moments the main character would, you know, have an expression like, you know, he's just being torched by a giant flame ball or he's like blushing, turning completely red or... You know, the way he moves is like stiff at one moment or like very kind of like bounding about and flexible and things. I I like a uh, an animation which is just like, you know, not trying to do everything like it would be if it was a live action film. I like something which really uses the medium that animation affords. It's enjoying being a cartoon. It's not trying to create the real world, really, is it? Yeah, yeah. Well, shall we talk a little bit about character? Because, as you say, the start of the film, it introduces, I think, as we explained in the setup, we have the hero Luca, who his father, Pancras, uh, gets killed at the hands of an evil wizard by the name of Ladja, Mm -hmm. who has a very distinctive look, a very long, protruding, veiny, but dimpled chin, which... um, I just, uh, I don't know. I feel like he was trying to go for a Jafar-style beard and... <laughs> it just and decided to do work entirely on his chin. <laughs> yeah, just like embellish the bone structure to create something um, even more sort of distracting. more. Ah! Dad! Dad! 
still alive. You need to find her. You have to. No! <laughs> what a tender moment. <laughs> Now you shall live all the rest of your days as my slave. <laughs> Are you alright, Luca? Another dream about your... No. Don't worry. Thanks, Harry. That's too familiar, okay? You should always address me as Prince Harry. Don't forget that you are my lackey still. Does any of that really matter anymore? You do know we're both slaves, right? All the same, I'm royalty. But that's beside the point. We've been here for ten years and we haven't escaped. Why? Because it's insanely dangerous? We've been over this. But oh. <laughs> this is what this is this distinction between like Western and Eastern design, because I just he's just gross and weird. His eyes seem to be bulging and misshapen and he's got a third bug-like eye in the center of his head he gave me a real joker vibe in the um i watched this in the english dub but with japanese japanese subtitles so there's by which i mean the translation of the japanese not yes to... <laughs> uh, so the english voice actor of is it ladger yeah um he sounded very much like the joker as well and the character's got red lipstick he's got sort of a gaunt jokerish face and i did some research and, and yeah the guy who voiced him in english also has voiced the joker a number of times <laughs> he's um he's not top level he's not mark hamill um he's not really even the b guy they get when they can't get mark hamill he's kind of like the c guy who does bit joker parts um but love your work <laughs> i mean we We've talked about the inciting incident, as it were, when his dad died. But um, we're introduced to Luca and his dad kind of very breathlessly at the start. His his dad's an adventurer. And I got um, a real sort of father-son dynamic from like God of War, the recent God of War. Okay, yeah. But, you know, it, it, the, I didn't know this because I have no knowledge of dragon quest 5 i had no idea that this moves in kind of three or maybe even four distinct generational shifts doesn't it mm. i mean later on during the film he the main character luca he meets some some ladies uh bianca and um or oh, what's her name nera and he says that he's met them before, but I couldn't for the life of me remember them. And they're either introduced at this very brief very very brief montage at the start, or it actually ties in a bit more to like what happens at the end with, with and talking about video games in general. I think that Bianca shows up in the sort of gameplay footage at the very mm. start, but that all happens very, very quickly. And it's all very sort of like choppy and rushed. So... I think if you don't catch it then, like, you know, the you they hope that you sort of get the connection and relationship just through the way they interact mm. with each other later on. I don't think it's necessary, 
you know, to appreciate the development of the characters as it goes on. Um, you know, we don't need to be told everything, Guy. <laughs> but I did make a note, and I said, I did write right here, if, if I was to guess, I would say that you have to choose between these girls and the game for some reason, and yes, you do. <laughs> so yeah. it was like nakedly a, a video game trope. But um, yeah, I really bought their relationship. I really enjoyed their relationship. And um, so when he does die, both um, Luca and Prince Harry Uh basically get turned into slaves and spend 10 years as slaves and emerge quite well adjusted. (laughs) You know. Hey, Ladger's slavery program is actually... um one of the best out there there's like healthcare and <laughs> 10 years a slave walk in the park <laughs> you get a fresh crisp toder every now and then a fresh crisp <laughs> Ooh, what flavor <laughs> oh i don't like prawn cocktail tough it's what you're getting i really thought prince harry and luca were gonna be like the brothers in arms throughout the movie i thought they were going to be um you know, like the road to El Dorado, which I named up before. Like, it's very rare to have a film where it's just two blokes. Well, I mean, an animated movie, I should say. <laughs> it's like two buddy comedies, a dime a dozen. But, you know, I just thought, oh, it's going to be two blokes. And um, no... Ugh, no girls. No girls, no pointless love interest. If anyone introduced to choose a bride later on. <laughs> um, I think the uh, other two characters were introduced right near the start is... Luca's best mate, Sancho, who, who doesn't play much of a part. He's just, again, a, a mustachioed dude in the background, I suppose. And um, Luca's pet, called Percy, who's like a big saber-toothed cat thing, which is extremely cute. But I've got not, not much else to say about those characters other than one's kind of fat and one's kind of cute. <laughs> which is which? Yeah, the the just a note on names, though, because... You uh, were watching the English dub and the Japanese text subtitles, and I was watching it in Japanese with the English text subtitles. But due, I guess, to a quirk of the Dragon Quest games being localized, it did mean there were some weird disconnects where characters were saying very specific names in Japanese, and the English was completely different. So... Not to confuse you, Harry, <laughs> but for instance... You know how I am with Japanese names, I'm fine. <laughs> but the thing is, is that it's like English-style names, so it doesn't really make much difference. So Prince Harry in Japanese mm-hmm. is Prince Henry. I see. And Luca is the same. Bianca is the same. The dad is Pankras in English, but Papasu in Japanese. And most curiously, when... Um, they're in Coburg, where Prince Harry slash Henry comes from. Uh, there's a guard there, and they call him Frank, but in the Japanese they call him Tom. And it's just like, hmm. why such a minor character does it have to be such a distant... I guess maybe he's more substantial in the Dragon Quest game itself when it was localised. But it's just very strange when you see the subtitles say, like, it's me, Frank, and they're just saying, Tom! <laughs> it's just... Uh... Well, maybe Tom sued. Maybe Frank should get on that. <laughs> Make a bit of Dragon Quest cash. Although, actually, I did see on Wikipedia that apparently 
there was a lawsuit against the film from a novelist of the Dragon Quest V official novel, because apparently the film used characters from that novel without permission. So maybe Frank was Frank in Tom, and they had to change it to Frank because he was Tom in the novel. I don't know. I'm not getting involved. If we ever make a Legend of Zelda video game, we're going to have to use my character name for the main character, which is Mr. Shits. (laughs) (laughs) You must save Hyrule, Mr. Shits. It's, um, I'm a child. I'm a 37-year-old child, and I still giggle. At swears. But uh, Luca and Harry, they make their break for it, and they escape in a sort of Hobbit-style barrel-based escapade, because... Apparently the only way to get out is via a barrel where they hide the corpses of fallen slaves. Um, Mm -hmm. I guess this is a kid's film, but, you know. (laughs) I mean, they cover themselves with shit before getting in. And this is the note where I put, okay, I am enjoying this a lot more than most Disney movies. I like my characters covered in shit. (laughs) Uh, They escape, but they get dysentery. Yes, they get the Mr. Shits. (laughs) oh it's all it all comes back to mr shits i'm gonna not say that name again for the rest of this podcast you said that far too many times they managed to make their escape and luckily they land in the back of a wagon filled with hay as uh, one is wont to do in a sort of medieval style fantasy realm and uh, they are taken in by the owner of a pub who has set up his uh, place of business to spy on uh, the mountain Azimuth, where Ladger is building this temple in order to bring back the Grandmaster Nimzo, who uh, will unleash an army of evil against the world from his um, parallel dark universe dimension of Nidria, I think. (laughs) I really appreciate that, thank you. I mean, this film does start with some text and it just mentions magic sword and bloodlines. And I just wrote, okay, got it. Magic sword, bloodlines. Yeah, yeah. They're looking for the Zenithian hero slash the heavenly hero. Mm-hmm. And you'll never guess where he is. He's inside the balls of one of the characters. <laughs> <laughs> but we'll get to that point. But a bit of him is. So once they make it to safety, Luca and Harry part ways... And Luther returns to his home of Wheelbrook, where he's got his uh, family home and uh, in the snowy cabin wilderness. And um, as soon as he arrives, he finds a secret basement. Like right away, the first thing he does, the first thing he touches, opens the secret basement. Yeah, because he sort of like trips and falls and just happens to grab this piece of rope, which uh, reveals the... Uh, entrance to his his dad's man cave yeah and inside he finds a sony camcorder with lord croft with (laughs) instructions for lara croft just like in the first tomb raider episode we did i i I imagine in there there's probably all kinds of fan service pieces of weaponry or treasure or I, i sort of feel Again, like a little bit bad for watching this film in the first place, but it was just like, I'm not going to spot anything which is, mm. you know, going to give someone a thrill. But I, I don't know. I mean, I, I still enjoyed it all the same. But every time there was a scene like that, or later on they uh, go find some treasure in a dragon's lair, and there's like a very prominently placed crown. And I just sort of think like, 
that's probably a crown in one of the games. Um, yeah. Well, it's. I think it's one of those things where if you if it exists in the law or in the world, why not use it? Why rather than just yeah. creating new things? Of course. I think I remember when like we watched like, Godzilla, King of the Monsters, and they used maser weapons. I'm like, ooh, mazers, lovely. <laughs> <laughs> it's laser with an M. Well, that would be Malaysia. <laughs> Malaysia? Malaysia. I come from Malaysia. I was thinking more like Milady. Oh, Malaysia. <laughs> anyway. Yeah, so uh, he finds his dad's diary in the basement. And the reason why they all got caught up in this mess in the first place was because his mother, Mada, was kidnapped by Laja, the evil wizard, uh, because she was Zenithian, she was of Zenithian bloodline, and in order to open this portal to the evil realm, they need someone of Zenithian bloodline, so by that token, she must still be alive, and the dad believes that Luca is the legendary hero who will be wielding the heavenly sword in order to save the world as we know it. The world as they know it. It's very different to our world. Yes. Or is it? Or is it? <laughs> Is it just? <laughs> hint, hint. He also meets his mate again. Um, I've already forgotten his name. Sancho. So Luca's old mate Sancho pops up and tells him that in order to get this heavenly sword, he has to go meet Rodrigo Briscoletti of Monstroferrato, um, who has it in his possession. But in order to do so, he must embark on a dragon quest very much so I, and we get a questing montage yes with the main I, theme playing in the background i did wonder that the main theme point appears later on at a very heroic moment and i thought that was the only time we heard it but we hear it here do we yeah okay um i mean this is a very episodic film but i enjoyed kind of all the episodes so that's 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 the trick Sometimes episodic is treated as a criticism, but I, I like these effectively side quests in this uh, video game movie, and I really enjoyed um, how the enemies they break into loot and things. Yeah, um, I rewatched uh, Ready Player One uh, recently, which we reviewed in an early episode, and in that film, people get turned into coins and stuff when they die, and. I really just, again, we know it's a video game movie. It tells you at the start this is a video game movie-fied. So I didn't really think anything of villains turning into coins and things. I guess if you wanted to try and put your logic act on, you can you can say these armies, these baddies, were created by this evil wizard, probably using treasure. So <laughs> killing him turns him into treasure. When I die, I would like to be cremated and then... Rather than ashes, it's just coins all appear. <laughs> and there's just like a big urn of coins. I thought you wanted to be your ashes to be compressed and compressed and compressed till it creates a diamond. But yeah, that too. I don't the amount of ashes a human body would produce I don't know how big that diamond would be, like a full stop on your keyboard. <laughs> like you'd lose it right away. Hey, I'm, I'm not gonna... gonna be the one who has to deal with it. Yeah. I'm not gonna scatter your uh diamond i'm just gonna like lose it somewhere <laughs> drop it down a drain it's <laughs> <laughs> what i would have wanted what you would have wanted i'm sure yeah i've always wanted to go inside a vacuum cleaner not that way 
<laughs> I wasn't even thinking that way, but now I can't. Anyway, uh, moving on. Don't like that image. Moving on. During this uh, dragon questing that he does, he encounters a slime uh, who he calls Gootroot. Yeah. I, I very much enjoyed that. I mean, I don't know how much he really contributes. I say he. It's a Gootroot. I don't know how much it <laughs> contributes other than being iconically Dragon Quest. I think the fans would have been even more up in arms if there wasn't a single slime uh, represented in this movie. I mean, it would also be stupid because they'd be missing a trick, uh, mm. not having their most iconic character and the series mascot in mm. there. But hey, as we said, video game adaptations can sometimes be pretty loose and crazy with their uh, icons. I mean, Gutrude seems pretty okay with Aluka trying to murder other slimes. <laughs> There is an amusing bit when he's trying to kill, I think, metal slimes. Oh, and I'm sure all these enemies have proper names. So when I say things like, oh, it's like a Cyclops looking thing. It's like, you're not using the correct name. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I enjoyed Slime's presence and it was quite fun to have uh, Percy and Gucci just being cute. You've got to have an animal sidekick in an animated movie. That's just part of the course. There is a bit when uh, Luca rides um, his slime at like warp speed, which I enjoyed very much. It's quite an arresting image, and you don't see that really in like uh, Lord of the Rings or anything <laughs> like that. He eventually gets to, um, gosh, what's the land? I think it's Mostro Ferrato. Mm. And we get so many lovely castles, which are very video gamey. Lots of spires. It's very beautiful. Um, is Rodrigo a king? Because he looks like a king. He is in a castle. I think he's a local lord, maybe. Mm. I know there's like a Prince Harry and I guess there must be a king there or maybe it's just lords. Isn't Nera a princess or is she just... Just a mild royal. A mild royal. Okay. <laughs> I don't know. Like Prince Harry is now. The real Prince Harry. <laughs> but apparently um, the Lord has decreed that whoever defeats this monster who has been terrorising the town, the victor can be betrothed to his daughter Nera, which is um, intriguing, I suppose. Yeah. I mean, throughout this film, though, when he reads the English text, which is on the screen... Um, there is a, a message box, a Dragon Quest style message box at the bottom. And this, these message boxes appear a couple of times throughout the film. It's like a dream sequence, which again utilises them. Mm -hmm. And I, I just thought this was just fun little nods to it being a video game movie. It's a little bit more than that. But again, we're, we're, we're teasing you along, dear listener. <laughs> even though you should have seen this already if you passed the spoiler warning. Yeah. I guess like the other references that he goes to try and defeat Buorn, who is the giant uh, dragon who's terrorizing the village. Although it's sort of like, it's kind of like a Pete's dragon situation. It looks sort of more like a reindeer, but it's got wings and breathes fire. I don't know what the, uh, what's the other thing? A wyvern? Is that the other mm, thing? That that's people... more like a snaky thing. I don't know. I didn't, I realised, yeah, he probably is a dragon, isn't he? Because I didn't count him as such. Because it was about an hour in when I kind of wrote in my notes, are there going to be any 
dragons in your in your dragon quest movie hello <laughs> <laughs> but no you're right he is a dragon and um i listened to the english dub as i told you but he's so much sassier in the japanese in the english dub he gets hit in the face and he just goes you hit me in my face and in the japanese he says you hit me in my pretty face <laughs> and in japan he goes I hope you like barbecue. And the response is, actually, I prefer fresh salad. But in English, he goes, finally ready to get roasted, I see. And she goes, actually, you're the one who needs to get ready. Uh, what? <laughs> I yeah. uh, missed out in that one instance. The, I like the sass. And the whole thing has this sort of irreverent humour, which is, I feel, stuff you see a lot in like Tangled and stuff where they... I've mentioned Tangled a lot, but it reminds me of Tangled a lot. Um, even though the character Bianca looks 100% like the character in How to Train Your Dragon. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, it, it was just this knowing humour and, and quite it was just quite fun. It was a funny film is what I'm trying to say. Yeah, I think the script, at least from my moments I did switch to the English dub, was a lot better in the Japanese translation. I think the dialogue was just a bit sparkier at least how it was written um yeah. and maybe how it was expressed it probably had the zing of a really good video game script because a lot of times especially in earlier works the script the writing is really what, what hooks you yeah his first attempt to defeat beyond doesn't go very well and he stumbles into the local inn pleading for medicinal herbs which are an item in the game at least based on my experiences of playing the demo of Dragon Quest XI. And that's where he reunites with childhood friend Bianca, the mage who offers the herbs that he seeks in question, and they team up against his wishes because he's all like, it's too dangerous. Well, I don't know whether it's too dangerous for a girl or too dangerous for my friend, but Bianca's definitely a can-do, independent, feisty co-protagonist. Yeah, I thought she kicked ass. Anyone think they could spare some medical herbs, please? Does anyone here have some? I've got a couple. Who's she? Oh no, she just got here today. <laughs> oh, look how big you've gotten, Percy. Here, eat up. Oh, thank you so much, miss. Miss? I must have you mistaken for somebody else. You sure look like the guy who cleared the ghosts out of up to ten towers back when I was a kid. You heard about that? Do I know you? So, you've forgotten the face of your partner. Guess it's been too long. Wait a second. No way, Bianca? Hey, you finally remembered. Luca or Calgotha, wasn't it? Bianca? How did I not see it was you? <laughs> Who is Bianca? Oh, I dare you know you've heard the name. She's a mage, isn't she? Let's get going. Huh? 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 Hey, that's enough. Hold on. <sighs> What's wrong? There's no way you're coming with me to fight Bjorn. Oh, yeah? 
Well, you clearly can't beat him alone. Look, just leave this to me, okay? Hey, did I offend you somehow? No, of course not. Just let me do this alone! But you're going to die without me! So you're gonna tell me what your problem is or what? I don't have a problem. If something awful were to happen to you. Is that it? When did you become my knight in shining armor? Leave me alone. <gasps> Over there! Huh? The Zenithian sword. <gasps> Once you get your hands <gasps> on that, you'll be but unstoppable! I... Hold on, it's not safe! <laughs> but I heard you were the heavenly hero! Come on, not you two! <laughs> We've got him by surprise! Pathetic creatures dare to disturb my sleep. That's him. He's huge. What's this? Aren't you that boy from before? Back for more, are you? <laughs> I like how later on we see her drunk. I like seeing main characters drunk in films, and I think it's <laughs> quite comparatively rare that you see a female character drunk off her tits, for want of a better expression. <laughs> Um, and again, not very Disney, I think, to have... You know, again, you see something which looks like a top-tier Disney animation, but your main character is just sozzled. <laughs> I enjoy that very much. Her, her character design, talking about design, I feel her design in this is very different from the Dragon Quest video games, where her, her mage, she's, a, she's a visibly a mage on sight just by how she's dressed, but... I got much more like a, a sword-wielding battle warrior in the film. So whenever she did get her staff out and did a bit of magic, I was like, oh yeah, she's she's a mage. <laughs> <laughs> a maging. I was waiting for that. Oh, I'm sorry. The main stumbling block, though, is that Bjorn is in possession of the Zenithian sword, which they require. And I did like this whole set piece in his lair, and there's lots of action going on. And I think the action in general was very easy to follow i could really um yeah. sort of get a sense of place and purpose and where characters were going and what they were doing and you know but still like very inventive with how the how the camera focuses on the action too it isn't just like completely static it's it's um yeah you know, very dynamic well, i can imagine like actually seeing it big screen would have really uh been a nice thing to do yeah it was very clear easy to follow and i just thought it was I just think a lot of the time in, in animation in general, because fight choreography is quite... I mean, fight choreo choreography in general is very difficult to do. But growing up, it's so funny how so much of what I watched was, effect, was meant to be action cartoons, but the action was always animated really badly. Mm. And even in CGI, because characters' movements can be quite stilted. And as you, as you, as you mentioned... A lot of the time in CGI, they're not stretchy. They're very static. The fights in this was really satisfying and just looked cool and badass. And uh, I think uh, I think I'm going to watch this quite a lot. Just just maybe even just for the fighting alone. <laughs> but um, the the action sequence with, with Bjorn is is it Bjorn or Bjorn? I think it's Bjorn. I think the action sequence with Bjorn again was a lot of fun. I think the highlight is the fact they finally get a hold of the Zenithian sword and he believes he's the legendary hero per his dad's diary and he tries to unsheath it 
and it's just not happening for him and he's pulling and pulling and it's guess it turns out he's not the heavenly hero after all and i thought that was like i guess it's like from the games too but i felt that was a really funny and interesting way of just undermining the whole chosen one prophecy stuff yeah and but also i liked i mean of course he's disappointed but i liked how it really emphasized that you don't have to be the chosen one to um be useful he still really holds his own and he runs into these fights like he can't die yeah and he still manages to defeat bjorn using you know teamwork and and wits and and cunning and uh manages to um rather than kill bjorn like you know has him at uh his weak point his third eye which is i guess a very video gaming mechanic too and bjorn offers to swear his loyalty to luca in order that his life be spared and i felt mm. that was again like maybe not a kid's film but the thing he's going to do is like plunge a sword straight into a, the eye of this rather cute and fun dragon character <laughs> but you know could happen don't know how you make friends that's how i start most of my friendships <laughs> threatening to kill them until yeah, they be swear my loyalty. friend or i'll stab you in your eye <laughs> I did write less and less notes as I went on, actually, this film, because my next note is a witch shows up. I approve <laughs> because they're still they're all celebrating. They're all celebrating his victory. And, and as you mentioned, um, even though he knows now he is not the chosen one, he's got like loads of deep, deep scars on his cheek as well. I was just really impressed again by the, the artistry of the scars on his face. <laughs> um, but he's, he's feeling a little bit down. But then Bianca does mention, hey, you know, you did it. Don't feel bad. You did it. But now he's got another problem where he's now betrothed to Nera, who he, he does seem to really like. But I think having this co-op battle with Bianca, he kind of has got a thing for her as well. And he doesn't know what to do about it. So like many people, he gets advice from a granny. <laughs> he calls her granny at one point. Um, she, This witch, clearly a witch, gives him what's clearly a potion. And at first he's like, I'm not drinking your witch's potion, witch. <laughs> but then late one night, late that night, he, uh, he decides to give it a go. <laughs> he drinks this glowing potion. And uh, we get this aforementioned dream sequence, and it's very digitally. It's not an analog dream sequence. We see an outline of his true heart's desire, and it did take me a moment to work out what that is because, you know, they all look the same, <laughs> all the women. <laughs> but um, yeah, he decides that in his heart of hearts, he can't marry the um girl with the riches and the the castle and uh beautiful blue hair green <laughs> maybe like, there's two characters in this film who've got very odd strange colored hair and i'm not even talking about the floating wizard lord i'm talking about prince harry and um nira he decides that he's, he's that he's holding a torch for uh bianca and Bianca doesn't take this so well. She gets really angry at him and says a line I took a photo of and sent it over to you. Um, she says, <clears throat> don't tell me you fell for a girl that gave you a puff puff downtown. Rory, what is a puff puff? 
You're a man of the world. <laughs> uh, I'm not a man of this world. Um, so Puff Puff is a euphemism for something that has featured in, I think, all the Dragon Quest games, where your character will um, find a woman of potentially ill repute who will offer a Puff Puff and I think it restores some sort of level of vitality. God, this is this is a roller coaster. Because you said this is a euphemism. Okay, real world in Dragon Quest. Oh no, it's not. No, what is it? Something innocent from a woman of ill repute. Oh God, we're we're back in now. Who gives you vitality? Okay. So apparently, it's censored in non-Japan versions generally, and there's sort of like a wink, wink, nudge, nudge innuendo idea as to what it would be but based on dragon quest fandom wikis etc it spells it out that it is the act of the main character having their head thrust between a woman's breasts and massaging his face inside them kind of like motorboating but i guess cute and that is a puff puff (laughs) I feel like I need to just think about this for a long time. <laughs> Maybe not too long. This reference journeyed from a Japanese video game designer to the anime and then got literally translated for the uh, English dub. <laughs> but like... it's 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 one of those things where it's like a knowing reference to Dragon Quest fans and mm. what it does is that in the games they also turn it on its head uh sometimes in the sense that you think you're getting a puff puff but then it turns out it's not what you expected so it's sort of playing on the idea that you know oh it's time for some possibly sexy encounter but for instance in dragon quest 11 i watched the uh puff puff scene (laughs) uh for that game does it go a bit under the skin where Scarlett Johansson offering a, a puff puff <laughs> to Scottish men and it um, ain't a puff puff at all? <laughs> um, not quite, but it may be a similar vein. But uh, I think you're at this sort of cliff face and she's like, oh, do you want a puff puff with me? And the character is like, sure. Although he's a mute. Although I guess he isn't mute, but... <laughs> Maybe he has got a West Country accent, just like everyone else. So he's like, all right, then I'll, I'll, I'll have a puff puff. <laughs> Do you want to put your edge between my bosoms? Yeah, right. <laughs> <laughs> but it, she's like, close your eyes and um, get ready. And then... <laughs> and then she's like, okay, open your eyes. And he looks down and his legs have been tied together with a piece of rope. And then... She pushes him off a cliff face and he does a bungee jump into some clouds and he gets a puff puff from the clouds because the clouds <laughs> puff puff on his face. Why didn't we see that in the movie? I'm going to take a star off this film, not enough puff puff. I'm quite I'm quite happy that the puff puff reference in this film remains a reference alone. and We don't have sure. to go down that avenue of... Uh, potential um, salubriousness. You've opened my eyes to the world of Puff Puff. I'm going to call my child Puff Puff. <laughs> oh dear. Well, we f- we do find out, though, that this 
sort of change of heart. I think though genuine because he ends up marrying Bianca and everyone's and they're very happy together. But this witch was in fact uh, Nera in disguise mm-hmm. because although I mean we haven't talked much about Nera, she's not quite as big a character as I thought she's going to be. But I guess that's what happens in in the game because you you choose whether or not you're with her or not. But Nera very much is like I'm not really keen on being given away. Very you're getting again sort of Disney's Aladdin vibes. But she is a bit more proactive and she's like, I'm gonna literally tell him not to go out with me. And <laughs> you know, <laughs> yeah, all power to her. That's really great. But you know, it it, it skirts that line of. I can tell that you're not so you're you're just not in that into me. (laughs) So, um, yeah, I I really like how this panned out. And again, this is where the plot sort of jumps forward and they have a child. And I was like, oh, right. So from father to son to son type deal, they have a little baby called Alice. Yes, who has even yellower eyes than mm. Luca, because yellow eyes signifies that they are of Zenithian blood. Um, yes. But yeah, so like Luca and Bianca, they settle down, they return to Wheelbrook, and... Uh, a lot of puff-puffing happens. A lot of puff-puffing happens, and they, as they a fuck, result... basically. <laughs> they fuck, basically. They fuck. It's a bit weird, because they still look like children. I mean, children who, who get drunk... But, you know. I think they are late teens, early 20s. Still too young in my book. (laughs) Yeah, you have to be 50 years old before you're allowed to have children. Exactly. So we we do jump forward a little bit. So he's he's kind of a toddler more than a baby, but it, it does feel like there's this time jump and then it's like a second film has begun. I guess that's the sort of product of you know, trying to condense a a huge game into a short time. And uh, I've seen some people say, oh, it suffers as a result of the compression. But I don't know, I quite enjoyed having like this kind of very fast uh, run through of all these, I guess, like maybe it seems a bit breathless in terms of, oh, we have to get this plot point in and this plot point in and this plot point in. And I was like, well, it's never dull. So I'm... yeah quite happy that having that pace i mean almost right after we do this time jump luca gets turned to stone yeah and doesn't bianca get turned to stone as well at the same time or very nearly at the same time basically yeah larger's forces attack and sancho uh who's with them makes off and takes uh the baby all the pies with him (laughs) (laughs) and uh as well as well as the baby. He's yeah. a baby in a pie. And he's like, oh shit, which one did I put the baby in? There's only one way to find out. <laughs> this one tastes... No, beef and ale again. Next one. I'll get my sharpest knife and cut a slice right down the middle. <laughs> that doesn't look like an entire baby. <laughs> as he looks down his toilet bowl. I don't remember eating baby. Oh, yeah, where did I put the baby again? Oh, dear. Oh, Sancho. Sancho, we love you, but you also eat babies. Not intentionally. No, that's entirely accidental. I mean, I can't help it. 
if the play school is right next to the KFC, I get hungry as I... <laughs> anyway. But aside from all that, I, I think it, the film sold these big, personal, emotional, dramatic states. Like, the fact this main character gets turned to stone, and then Bianca also gets kidnapped, and it's revealed she is also of Zenithian bloodline, and her parents cast a spell to make her eyes a different colour so people wouldn't mm. know and then she refuses to assist larger in opening up the portal and so she gets turned to stone and so we have this montage of the dark forces taking mm. over the land while the statue of Luca becomes covered in moss and and you know it just sort of feels like there's the weight there's weight to the story and mm. uh, the characters. I just felt for all the people who died when evil took over. And, you know, Larger's doing better than most villains right now, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. I mean, the only difference would have been if, if he had kidnapped Bianca and said, it's impossible, it's hopeless, join your power to mine. And she would have been like, yeah, right. <laughs> You know, you, you seem to have won. <laughs> I don't see any future with me and Luca. <laughs> no. And um, the last time I saw our baby, he was hanging out with my mate. <laughs> making pies. <laughs> yeah, but no, I mean, again, very surprising. And again, this is probably, this is known to players of the game. But for me, I was, I was like, gosh, all is lost. And then we get another time jump with uh, now Alice. Alice. I keep calling him Alice, but it's Alus, like Atlas without the T. I don't know. I would have pronounced it Aros. Yeah, I Aros. don't know. Is that in a Cornish accent or a British country accent? <laughs> Arlus. The the world has ended, but people still are surviving amongst the cracks, fighting monsters. But I think we join Alice just as he's managed to get hold of. Uh, I think it is it actually. Bianca's staff, or is it just a magic staff? Yeah, I, I, I'm not sure. I think it might be Bianca's. I, I, when I went to like the hippie shop in Glastonbury, for there's only one. <laughs> <laughs> the hippie shop. The hippie shop. One of the many shop magic shops in Glastonbury, which is where is near where we're from. Um, they do have sets of wands in there, and they say these wands have not been used, and. On one hand, I think that's quite nice because they want to reassure you that any magics you perform have not been tainted by anyone else. But on the other hand, I'm like, they're just sticks. How do I know this works if it hasn't been used? Um, <laughs> but um, he uses, I'm going to say it is Bianca's staff, to free Luca from being a statue. And um, I thought it was quite nice and emotional, but they are, they are quickly attacked by another... Monster. I'm actually. I can't picture what monster they're attacked by. I think it's a bunch of cyclopses. Oh, a big bunch of cyclopses. Cyclopi. Uh, so yeah. I don't know what the plural is. I mean, it's funny. Like two cyclopses is, is just enough ice. Three <laughs> cyclopses is just excessive. <laughs> I think there's a moment when um, Alice grabs hold of this heavenly sword. Is it called a heavenly sword? Yeah. 
All these fantasy films and shows and books and stories, they largely involve our heroes trying to find like a weapon of mass destruction, which is bad if the baddies have it, but it's fine if the goodies have it. <laughs> and um, the bit when Alice unsheaths the sword is badass. I really enjoyed that. Um, I like how Luca kind of tosses the sword to his son and is like oh no wait oh but he can use that's it. the sword that won't work but he can <laughs> yeah it's beautiful gets we get slow motion and he cuts through the beast it's pretty damn cool so luca finds out that eight years have passed that he's been entombed and monsters have gained in number and in order to get to mount azimuth and get to the summit they need to find the zenith dragon who has apparently disguised himself as a human and lives down uh, the base of Mount Azimuth. And Harry, do you think that the dragon disguised as a human could be Dr. Agon? Oh, God, I've just got that. <laughs> oh, my God. Dr. Oh. Agon? I mean... I was watching this with subtitles as well, and I think they call him Agon a lot, but they do say Dr. Agon. Oh, I'm I'm such an idiot. (laughs) (laughs) Why I can never see these things. (laughs) Hey, there was a lot of stuff I didn't see in in this film, and it was only when they mentioned the Zenith Dragon the second time that I was like, Oh, maybe... Oh, Dr. Ragon. Maybe it's that one human they met at the bottom of the evil mountain. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And I was like, what an idiot I am. I know, but I still can't believe, like... I went, Like, is it Dr. Lupus is the werewolf in Harry Potter? Mm -hmm. And, like, I saw the... I never read the book, but I was watching the film and they said, gosh, there's a werewolf all around Hogwarts. What do you think, Dr. Lupus? And then it's treated as a surprise... (laughs) <laughs> when it turns out to be a werewolf. I've gone to cancel J.K. Rowling just for that nonsense. Apart from anything else she's done or said. Yeah, she's um, got a lot of nonsense on her plate. Um, they meet up. They meet up with Dr. Ragan. And <laughs> <laughs> they say, just just, just hear me out here. Would you be a dragon? <laughs> and he like immediately says yes. But he can't change back. They have to go on yet another quest, but it's okay. This film has quest in the title to get hold of a special something or other. A, the dragon a, orb. A dragon orb. <laughs> I would have just checked my pockets. I'm sure I've got one of them somewhere. What? Uh, no. All right. He has to go on some quests. And one of the quests is that he has to defeat robots. And, and they drop a line saying, robots, that's a bit random. Again, I thought that was just a fun little commentary on how a lot of video games set in fantasy world has just a real mix match and hodgepodge of technology styles and things. I mean, at yeah. the start, I noticed how Dr. Agon, I can't believe I didn't know he's a dragon, um, <laughs> but I noticed how Dr. Agon had a um, pair of glasses and I was thinking, gosh, so the fantasy world how do we get prescriptions in the fantasy world and but you know it's a video game so again i thought with the robots it's just you just it's a gimme because it's a video game yeah i mean he later meets some fairies in a fairy kingdom and he asks the first fairy he sees are you a fairy (laughs) (laughs) so maybe i don't feel so stupid anymore actually (laughs) 
Um, yeah, but he has to enlist the help of the fairies uh, in order to travel back in time. It's also got time travel. Yep. Which was at the very start of the film, young Luca encounters a stranger who you don't quite see, but is definitely Luca grown up, who asks if he could have a look at his dragon orb. Did he realise that when he watched the film the first time? Yeah, because... Oh, damn it, I didn't. (laughs) Well, I think it's just because the character design, like, I recognise from the poster and definitely had, like, a freckly face. You only see, like, his nose and mouth, but I was like... Uh, that must be Luca growing up. There's going to be time travel at some point. You just watch all films assuming there's time travel, don't you? You're like, you're looking at the background extras and you're like, that person's from the past, that person's from the future. <laughs> like, I've got this sorted. But uh, it's a cute little encounter with his younger self um, because in the video game intro, they picked up a dragon orb and... Um, he tricks his younger self into uh, swapping it round for a fake one so that he can take the real dragon orb back to Dr. Aragon so he can yeah. transform into his dragon self. I mean, usually in a movie, he would try not to interact with his his younger self to in case of a temporal paradox. But here, he's giving life advice, he's hugging. He's Palling like, around. Just think, he returns to the modern world and everything is gone. The time itself is gone. They do skim over how he went back. Like, did he have to drink a potion, like at the end of Army of Darkness? And did he sleep too long? It's, uh, nah. you know. Next scene, like... it's it's them all flying up on a Dr. Agon's back to the to the summit of the mountain. I'd like to have the Dr. Agon dragon, a.k.a. the Zenith dragon. The Zenith Dr. Agon has Dr. Agon's beards. And it's yeah. nice to see a dragon with a beard. I like that shit. <laughs> <laughs> and almost immediately there's like a big battle sequence, isn't there? Yeah. So Luca finally meets his mother, Marda, who has been trapped herself in a protective orb, um, which Ladger has been incessantly trying to destroy with increasingly large fireballs by harnessing the power of Nismo. Mm. And I just like how I'm gonna try um level seven fireball now. <laughs> what about eight? <laughs> how many levels? Two thousand, quite a few. Um nine. <laughs> I'll try now. <laughs> but uh she basically uses her last ounce of strength and power, um, as she's the only one powerful enough to seal the gates. Because she's the only one who has the ability to cast the spell. And um, the orb is finally destroyed and she dies. And with it, the chance for Ludger to uh, release, summon Grandmaster Nimzo uh, to take over the world. I'm sorry if you've mentioned this, but we have established that the baddie needs as someone with Zenithian blood to yes. say a spell to open the gates to this dark dimension. Sure. We let's just, say uh, that just, now. <laughs> let's say that now, just in case. <laughs> um, but yeah, there's this big battle scene where Prince Harry and Sancho and Bjorn arrive as reinforcements and Luca and Larger go toe-to-toe. Look really nicely animated, as we've been saying. 
Yep, yep. And Luca launches his sword into larger, and then his son, Alice, launches the heavenly sword at the same time too, and we think larger has finally been defeated. But it's just in boss battle style, now it's time for my final form, or something similar, because he pits up the dead body of his mother, Marda, and uses her remaining power in order to open up the gates to the portal once again. He opens up this uh, this other portal to get the big boss, the biggest boss, to come out. I always find it funny how the biggest enemies are called bosses, like they are the chief executive and have all these decisions to make and they have holidays and they do they play golf and things. <laughs> <laughs> um, but they, they open up the portal for the biggest big boss to come out, but... Our heroes leap into action. Um, Bjorn throws Alice up into the sky and Alice throws his heavenly blade up into the vortex and that seems to do the job. And as he falls to what looks to be his death, he, <laughs> he um, Alice yells triumphantly, we did it, we saved the... W-. And I was like, Gah? What? Everything's frozen. <laughs> Not the, the film so- frozen. <laughs> no. I mean, I'm very glad that the sort of Netflix spinning wheel didn't appear, because that could have happened. Um, But everyone but Luca is frozen. And then this film suddenly turns into, like, Black Mirror? <laughs> because... Out of the sky comes not a big bad, but a virus. Everything loses its texture. All the all our friends, like Bianca and Bjorn and everyone and uh, Percy, they turn into like white mannequins and sort of blow away in the wind, in a digital wind. It's absolutely acknowledging that this is a video game that they're in. Not quite a video game movie. That would make me shit myself inside out if it started talking to me on the sofa. Um, (laughs) But I did not expect this. And I've said already I would be fully on board with this film if it was just your traditional big battle ending with the villain dying. That was all done very satisfyingly. But suddenly it introduces something kind of... I think it's probably well known enough now to mention this, but it reminds me of um, the Lego movie where Mm -hmm. it's not just adventure, but it's a commentary on our relationship with video game stories and narratives and characters. And the villain, he sort of produces in his hand a Super Famicom cartridge. Yep. And I was like, hello. (laughs) (laughs) And then we discover that this whole story and game and everything is being played in a sort of virtual reality Dragon Quest machine. And I'm like, and JRPG in an arcade, get the fuck out. (laughs) It's like, how long has he been in there? It's been 25 hours so far. (laughs) I've been playing this since, um, I mean, this time two weeks ago. So you, you must be Nimzo. 
Well, technically, no. I was injected into the code for Nimzo's character. You might call me a virus. I'm impressed that Mara sensed something was off. Huh, off or not. Once many years ago, there was a game called Dragon Quest. It was wildly successful. A few decades later, this state-of-the-art virtual reality technology was perfected. Once it was released to the public, that same game, Dragon Quest, was remade for this new platform. And you are in that game now. Desperately chasing nostalgia, you just had to give it a shot. And in fact, though it may have felt like a lifetime to you, this game has only been running for a few hours. But I still don't understand why you're doing this. Why won't you just let us be? I can't just ignore my purpose. It would seem my creator hates you, and all others who call this pathetic world home. That's why I exist. Nothing more, nothing less. So that's your reason? That's why you've destroyed everything! That's just the way it is. I am little more than the result of a genius hacker's boredom. One more thing. My creator had a message for you. Don't worry, it's short. Grow up, loser. Grow up? Now, it's time you returned to reality. Your memory will be wiped temporarily while you're inside the game world. This will allow you to experience life as the hero. Oh man, I can't believe I get to experience this adventure for real. Bianca or Nira? I don't know how I'm gonna pick. I think I should choose Nira this time, since I always go for Bianca. All right, but the system isn't going to make the choice any easier for you. You'll be feeling exactly what the hero does. Well, I'll just convince myself then. I want Nira. I want to choose Nira. Whoa, what? look at that. You've just activated the self-suggestion program. For real? Well, that was quick. Yeah. This system will create new programs just as fast as you can imagine them. I can disable it if you'd like. Nah, you can keep it on. Oh, one more thing. Do you think I could fight some robots? Robots? Oh, sure. I can add that option now. All right. All that's left is to give yourself a name. Luca. I've always given my characters the same name. Luca. Okay, I'm gonna activate the visor now. Can you read the text clearly? Yeah. And are you happy with the displayed settings? I am. All right then. It's time for your adventure to begin. Enjoy. Don't you give up? This world isn't real! That's not true! Neither you nor your creator could ever understand! Happy birthday! I hope you like it. Dragon Quest V? Thanks, Mom! The worlds that these games brought to life... They've never been fake to me. Not in the least. Even if they were only programs. The time that I spent with them was real. And these journeys, these battles, everyone I met, to me it was all true! They are false illusions! No! They were just another reality! Silence! Just finish! Ah! 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 
Gertrude? Do not be led astray! Hold firm to your consciousness! But how? In truth, I am an antivirus program! My job is to keep watch over this world! I've prepared a vaccine! And now, I'm entrusting it to you! You must complete your adventure! really emotional <laughs> watching this ending i'm not a hundred percent sure it is earned though i'll be interested to hear your thoughts because you're it has been hinting at these sort of inconsistencies there's a moment when we see the the real life human character it's all cgi it's not played by an actual japanese uh live action actor but um he's given the option of whether or not he wants robots in this fantasy <laughs> adventure and he goes, oh, yeah, I love robots. And the man sort of setting up the game is like, OK, it's a bit random, but OK. So it does hint at that sort of thing throughout. And um, I, I kind of expected, you know, how I was saying earlier, how I don't even know if we met Nira before. And he seems to know Nira. That that could very much be. Well, we, we've not met her because it's a video game. So, And I think at some point, like, Mada says like references like not this time or larger says something about how like you know like you'll fail just like last time or you know there's something like that uh, there's this in the very dialogue. subtle hints that yeah that this is there's been some repetition and i've forgotten about that but um i i can i still can see why this might be quite divisive because it does suddenly seem like a thesis has been brought to the table and it, it's 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 rather like if lord of the rings ended uh aragorn is about to give a speech about being the best of men and heroes and all that stuff and then he sort of decides to pause everything and leave the green screen set and when the camera follows him out to a library he talks about the importance of stories <laughs> sort of like how another fantasy epic ended quite recently but um it's so I, I can see why it might feel a bit unearned, but I think for the first time in my life, I've had somebody argue the case, uh, and this is what Luca does. Um, he argues the case that it doesn't matter if this is a virtual story or a virtual friendships you're having or or a virtual adventure you're having, in your mind and emotionally, they are still memories. Like I I. I'm not a Dragon Quest player, but I have so many fond memories of playing RPGs and just all these video games. They, they're all real to me. They, they, they really happened. I made friends and I played played games with my friends and stuff. And I was just wrecked <laughs> by, the, <laughs> by the end of this bit. Um, how did you feel about this sudden, I want to say, bait and switch? Looking at reviews, I've just like sort of decided to like catch up on a few reviews before talking about it because I was intrigued by other people's thoughts on the ending. And it seems to be mainly in two camps where it's some reviews think this film is a so so movie and then all of a sudden it does this and it completely snaps into like something far more important and far more interesting because of it. Whereas I think other people 
like were enjoying the movie and then think, oh, and this ending is completely stupid and ridiculous. But I think I really liked the film and I don't think it needs this ending because I think I would have perfectly enjoyed it, as you say, if there was a big battle and everyone like has a happy ending, yada, yada, yada. But I really, yeah, felt this ending was really just interesting and it completely you know, justifies the subtitle, your story. Like, I thought it was just, is this an interactive movie? What is it? Is it just like, oh, you know, it's just about, you know, this is a letter to the fans. This is fan service. But I didn't know how literal a love letter to the fans it was by... I mean, the subtitle for a lot of Japanese media means fuck all, doesn't it? (laughs) Yeah. No, yeah. It it could be just like a weird mistranslation or or something like that. I I wrote here, this is my story. (laughs) But it's just, um, it's interesting because it sets up the this virus villain to basically tell fans of the game that they suck. So it's basically says, oh, this is the world you're in now. You're, you know, drunk on nostalgia. You decided to give this virtual reality Dragon Quest experience a shot, which I guess explains why it's a truncated version of the story. I don't think the person's been in there for 25 hours because the virus says you've only been a few hours since you started oh, playing. True, yeah. It which kind of explains that, why you're going to get like a kind of highlight reel of Dragon Quest V. And then when we see the real life uh, person, he says, oh, I choose Luca. That's how I name all my characters. And, you know, I'll, oh, maybe this time I'll go for Nero this time rather than Bianca, etc. Sort of. I mean, women, they're interchangeable. <laughs> <laughs> it's not my opinion. That's Luca. But this virus, and it kind of reminds me of um, the Mamoru Hosoda film Summer Wars, which is also about a kind of MMO interactive second lifestyle universe game space. And then this like kind of hacker tries to break into it. And there's this visual representation of this virus, which the characters are trying to combat. And it looks a little bit like that. But the virus basically says the person who created me reviles the scum who call this virtual world home. I'm merely the result of a genius programmer's boredom. Oh, right, he gave me a message. He says, grow up, loser. So (laughs) it's just some sort of spiteful... I don't know whether it's like a kind of anti-hacker, anti-modder message, or it's just like, well, we need to set up this final antagonist. How about someone who hates Dragon Quest fans? (laughs) Yeah, that might be it. But I found it... Yeah, I found it really touching. And I, I like... You know, the virus is like, why do you resist? And Luther is like, you wouldn't understand. And there's like a flashback with a voiceover. It's like, happy birthday. And it's like, oh, Dragon Quest V. And like slotting in the Super Famicom cart. And he blows the cart. Yeah, it's just like... In a fantasy epic. I think it's very much similar to, as you say, the Lego movie. And I think it captures a lot of what Wreck-It Ralph and those kind of things are trying to say about nostalgia for video games and things but does it far more i know like succinctly and yeah but because um, it is a man just standing there pontificating about it so yeah there is that I, this is why i wrestle with it slightly because like i said it's it is hinted but it's it's suddenly kind of violently inserted into the end of this fantasy movie and it is very like uh fan servicey and it is very like ego stroking and it is very much like you know saying oh you guys are great you guys are amazing you're the ones who make dragon quest what it is so you haven't wasted your time (laughs) yeah 
You haven't waited yet. So, to an extent, I'm like, I'm trying to be like very cynical about how it's deployed. It's very manipulative in that respect. And, but you know, I, it just sort of bypasses that cynicism for me mostly. And I just like appreciate it as like a very heartfelt thing to do. And clearly it's not work because a lot of people, even Dragon Quest fans, think it's stupid. That's the problem in a nutshell, because we've, We've talked about how much we've liked watching the film and I think we both, because it was something unexpected, we both really appreciated the ending. But at that same time, it robs Dragon Quest fans of the ending they expected because mm. there isn't this final battle. It doesn't show you this climax to the game that I guess fans really loved. Instead, it gives you this meta-commentary with uh, this virus being defeated by Gutrude the slime, who turns out all along was following the protagonist because they're an antivirus program <laughs> and <Yeah. laughs> emer- like produces this pixely sword which defeats the virus and the world is restored and the heroes are victorious. And that stuff I don't... I'm not on as bored with as, you know, the notion of it. I think the resolution is a bit clunky in, in that respect. Although it, it did make me wonder, maybe this virus experience is actually part of this dragon quest vr experience and it's you know manipulated and designed in there to put the actual people who play the vr experience game make them have this like emotional moment where they're like crying and be like no it's it's beautiful this experience will stay with me forever (laughs) and whereas the person who's you know programmed this vr game is like haha sucker this virus is just a game mechanic to make you feel this way about Dragon Quest. Ha ha ha, buy more slime merch. We're skirting dangerously close to arcade territory again. <laughs> there are just people in this world who really despise films which sort of change genre uh, late in the day. It's, it's, it's complicated because this is a film based on a beloved franchise. and it's, But quite often I, I see a film which kind of reveals its hand. Oh... This is actually a science fiction film, or oh, this is actually a horror film, and people feel like they've the film's own rules have been broken in some way. Yeah. And I'm of the opinion that no, it's not broken the rules. It's just this is different than what you thought it was. It's not like I look back at the rest of the film in a different way now. I mean, yes, there's the hints of the video gaminess, and you know, but I I I think like the story is intact. And this sequence is, you know, is obviously a commentary on the rest of the film, but I can kind of like divorce that segment from that. It doesn't cheapen the emotional drama that we experience just because it's all, you know, digital. It's like, haha, you're watching a 3D CG animation, you know, it's all fake anyway. The twist doesn't change everything because I think both before and after the twist, your experience is... This is a fun adventure. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's the message to take from it. <laughs> it's a fun adventure. I would heartily recommend this movie, especially that it's quite easy to get a hold of on Netflix. You've got your fun adventure, as we mentioned, but it looks just beautiful. It's not very long. And the good thing about an episodic story is that it's almost like an anthology so if you're not really with the opening stretch then maybe you enjoy the second stretch in the town defeating 
the giant Bjorn dragon. And then if not that, then it gets sort of apocalyptic in the last section. And then you've got this chin-strokingly cerebral commentary on your soul <laughs> at the end. I think it's... If, might be one of the best films you've done on this podcast in my opinion what did you think of dragon quest your story yeah i would i would second that it's definitely um a surprise i thought it was charming emotional uh dramatic even when it does get a bit by the numbers or um it skips through the backstory quite a bit i i was still invested i didn't feel too lost um uh after the opening gets the sort of backstory out of the way. Uh, it, it feels like a very pointed love letter to fans of the franchise, but I never felt alienated by that. I never felt like I wasn't getting anything, and I think the themes of it still felt universal. So, yeah, I mean, maybe fans will have a different opinion, but I, uh, I found it very entertaining and... Uh, beautiful to look at and um was uh yeah taken aback and quite impressed by it too it's nice to do a good film once in a while isn't it (laughs) (laughs) makes all the difference yeah what's next on the podcast (laughs) well from the slime to the ridiculous it's mortal Kombat annihilation which uh if it's as any any way as good as the last mortal Kombat film we did we're in for a treat (laughs) (laughs) Uh, yes, we, uh, I think, gosh, we did Mortal Kombat 1 some time ago, and uh, there's another Mortal Kombat film uh, for us in the future, so this is a good midway, midpoint. I midway know, point. A midway, a midway point, like the arcade mission company, very good. Yeah. In the meantime, how can people keep in touch with us? You can find our website, gamesonfilm.witsite.com slash podcast online and uh, on the website there's uh, links to ways you can support the show as well as where you can find all the episodes and lots of extra fun stuff too we're on all the social media channels that you um, probably use such as facebook twitter and instagram at games on film pod and you can contact the show through there or by emailing us games on film pod at gmail.com i'm on twitter at rory steel I'm at Only Man Who Can. And the music for Games on Film was composed by David Lightfoot. Well, our quest is at an end. This is episode 60, I think. That's right. Is that Diamond Jubilee? I... Well, I think... Diamond Anniversary. Every every anniversary will now be celebrated with a, a rewatch of Dragon Quest. And I can't wait to tell my wife this news. <laughs> <laughs> uh but yes thanks so much for joining us on the quest uh i've been harry i've been rory take care Bye-bye. bye bye did drag on a bit ha, 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 ha. that's my favorite dragon joke <laughs>